Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you give us your name. And that name, it means intimacy. It means that you want to be known and you want to know us. Lord, the Bible says you call us by name. But Lord, we get to call you by name, but the problem is our, our Bibles really don't tell us what your name is. Lord, I pray that as we travel through the series and kind of unpack who and what you are in our lives, we realize that you're not just God in the, in the kind of bland sense that we use that word, but there is this deep understanding of how you approach us in our relationship, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you've called us to. God, you are greater than we can contain. You are infinite and you are mighty. And I pray that that would be something that we always keep with us, that that's something that would call us to something more. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say welcome to you, those of you who are visiting the UCC. You have to forgive me. I am suffering from a bit of a cold, and I had allergic reaction. So uh, last night when I went to bed, my entire face was swollen, and this morning it's just my top lip. I'm not getting collagen injections, just in case you're wondering. I'm not going Kardashian on you yet. Uh, When we plant DCC, then maybe. Um, This morning we're starting off a brand new series uh, called Meeting God. Now, I want to paint a picture for you. The year is 1978. The place is Constable Gamal. In 1978, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have internet and all these things, but the word was spreading around the playground community that someone famous was going to be at Consul Kamal. And of course, the person that was going to be there was somebody very important to me. So I had to go and I had to meet this person face to face. So we arrived and and my my dad, my poor father, I was begging him, take me to Costco Mall, take me there. At this time, I have to meet this person, right? And so we get there, we arrive, and there are literally hundreds upon hundreds of boys my age, uh, eight years old, um, at Costco Mall waiting to meet this person, right? And so it got to the point where they had this uh, rope all around, and there's like, you know, if you've been to Kansas one line, like that kind of a line, you keep roving around, right? And at the very center where Santa Claus usually sits is where the meeting place would take place. And so we were like far back. And, and so you could, I'm not a, a statuesque tall person. And back then it was even more so. Uh, actually, I was pretty much the same height. I haven't really grown my entire life, right? And so it's a sea of, of, of heads. Like I could just barely make out, uh, you know, I'm stuck where the bay is and and the center court's that far off, but the line begins to move and the music comes on and the place goes electric because this person's here, they're in the building. And we hear his music, some of you who know the music know where exactly I'm going with this, right? And then suddenly the line starts going, and as we get close to the line, we're given this eight and a half by 11 glossy picture of this person, and I'm just excited. And so finally, it's my turn, and I get to the front, and there, standing in the middle of the center court of Consul Gamal is Darth Vader. And he's staying there in, like, in the full costume, and this eight-year-old Roger Stone goes up to meet him, and I look up at him. He doesn't speak because you can't really fit James Earl Jones in that kind of a costume. But I shook his head and I was looking up at his face and terror and joy was both mingled across my expression. And that was it. I was ushered off the other side and that was it. The reason I tell you that story is because have you ever met somebody famous 
You ever kind of met them and there's, there's a part of you that is a loss for words. For example, one, uh, one time when my wife and I were at a concert, uh, there was, we were sitting right across from the VIP section. And in the VIP section, a very famous person walks in. His name's Harrison Ford, right? And I didn't know what to say, so I just said, Han Solo! And he looked at me and he waved. And that's all I could think of saying, right? I just, I didn't know what to say. Another time, my wife, by the way, whenever I meet famous people, it's always with my wife uh, because she just seems to attract people like that. My wife and I are in Toronto, and they're walking towards us is uh, Kara Sedgwick and uh, Kevin Bacon. And Kevin Bacon has got the weirdest walk ever. He's like walking kind of like a cool hipster. And the, play, and the people are just partying in front of him. They're like, I don't know what to say. Uh, like, I'm like, hated Footloose, or I don't know what, what to say, right? But if you ever met somebody famous, you, you meet them, and you're like, what do you say? What meaningful thing do you say in that moment in time? You don't really prepare yourself. You don't really script it out, right? You just, you just kind of like, ah, and, and, and whatever dumb thing comes out of your mouth is how their relationship set. And I don't know the person from the other perspective, right? Like, I don't know the person who was playing Darth Vader in the costume at Castle Gamal in 1978. I don't know who that person was. I hope they were paid well. Uh, it was a great costume. This is before the time you can go online to buy that Darth Vader costume, right? But that person is seeing these small children coming towards him, and he was like six foot six easily. Uh, at, well, at least he felt like 100 feet to me at that time, right? But uh, I don't know what he thought, like, come on, kid, I'm just like, you know, some, some, uh, uh, some person they hired off, whatever, right? But when you meet somebody famous, you're, some, you're, you're, at, you're at a bit of a loss for what to say. Sometimes people stammer, like, ah, 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 you know, like, like what, what do you say to this person that would convey what they mean to you? And that's interesting, right? Well, the funny thing about the Bible is, is people meet God all the time. And when they meet God, they're kind of, stammering themselves like what do i say the movie clip you saw there was from a movie called the ten commandments uh 1956 uh cecil b demille a famous director was put this movie together and of course the classic charlton heston as moses you can't go wrong with charlton heston today a little bit weird but back then classic right but cecil b demille talks about this moment where Charlton Heston, Moses meets God. Now, remember, in the Bible, the Bible says that the Israelites were slaves for 430 years in Egypt. And God had not spoken to them in that time. And suddenly, God is trying to reintroduce himself to the the Israelites. And so when Moses says to him, who do I say sent me? Because it's it's a legitimate answer, a question, because how do you explain to these people who are in bondage, that God is sending him back to you. And, and, and the name that God says is sent, tell him, tell them that the I am, or the I will that I will be, has sent you. And you sit there and you're going, that's, that's kind of an interesting thing, but what, what does that mean? Well, this morning what we want to do is we want to take a look at some of the names of God. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to take a look at the names that God gives himself when he introduces himself to people. Now, what's going to happen is this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to put some building blocks together. And as I've said in our, in our Lamb of God series, when we looked at Easter and we looked at the whole Easter idea and the Seder, and I said to you as Gentiles, we don't really understand what's happening in the Easter story because we don't really understand the Passover meal. We don't understand what, what takes place there. And so we, 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 peel back that veil and be going, oh. And many of you said to me about the Easter series was that you had no idea 
about what, what was happening. We talked about the fourth cup in the, in the Seder meal and how that was fulfilled on Christ on the cross, right? But when you go into the Bible and when God introduces himself, in your Bibles, it'll be translated as God or Lord. Those are inadequate terms by which God is trying to convey something. The Hebrews understood it, but you, uh, who don't speak Hebrew, and that includes myself, I did not study Hebrew in school. I studied Greek, so I've had, I had all these commentaries on my desk. I'm trying to parse through and, go, uh, and get a little understanding of it. What we want to do is we want to build some building blocks of how God introduces himself to the world. In the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the beginning, God. That's how God introduces himself to all creation. In the beginning, God. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that means just yet, but what's interesting is, is that when we meet somebody, we, we give our name, right? But when we make names, when like, like people who have babies, you, you think of a name. And you know how you think of a name? You think of somebody who hasn't annoyed you in your life thus far, right? That's kind of how you think of a name. Like, I'm going to name my child, but you automatically cross names off of people that bug you. Oh, we can't call that name Brian. Oh, my goodness, Brian. Or we can't call it Sarah or Roger. Like, like, you just you, you cross names off the list because of people who've bugged you growing up. And so hopefully you end up at a name that you don't know anybody really. And hopefully, and, and we're really getting creative today, right? People are just making things up now. Like there's one person's, one kid's name I thought was just a bunch of constants put together and I didn't even see a vowel in there anywhere. And I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, okay, so names are interesting, right? Back in ancient times, names meant something, right? Like, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the Jewish naming ceremony, you were not meant to name the baby for eight days, right? In the Jewish naming ceremony, the parents were instructed to wait eight days. The name was meant to be given by God. Did you ever notice in the Bible that when somebody was named something, that name was actually their destiny? that according to how they were named, they would fulfill that name, right? Let me kind of give you some examples of it. When, in the book of Isaiah, in the beginning part of Isaiah, um, God uses the children of Isaiah. By the way, poor kids. Uh, these kids need therapy, right? Because basically God names these kids according to what's happening to the people of Israel and what will happen. So, for example, in Isaiah 7, 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sherub Jashub, to, uh, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Launderer's Field. Sher uh, Jashub means a remnant will return. The child was named according to what, what, what God was going to do in Israel. There's another name, another uh, child of, uh, of Isaiah. Sher Jesh, uh, and the Lord said to me, name him, and by the way, this is the longest name in the Bible, and I memorized his name back when I was in Bible college because it was a funny name. Uh, it's Mahershala Hashbaz. I don't even have to look at it. I, I just, I, I was thought if we had a kid named Mahershala Hashbaz. But anyways, name him Mahershala Hashbaz, for before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. So two children of Isaiah were named, God told Isaiah what to name these children because these names were going to be prophetic as to what would happen in the future. Imagine that kid in, in school going off to school. What's your name? Rehearsal Hashbaz. Did you lose it? Did your parents lose a bet or something? You know, like, like how, how does that come together? What's your name? My name is Cher Jashub. I was like, uh, Damascus will return? That's a really weird name, right? But that's what happens, right? But it doesn't just end off there. Uh, people you meet throughout the Bible fulfill their name. Like, for example, Joseph, right? Joseph means he will add, 
right? And again, the story of Joseph is exactly that. Isaac, he will laugh, right? He will rejoice. Why does Isaac rejoice? Because God says to Isaac, I'm going to give you a child. What's his response? Ah, Are you kidding me? Right? Like, don't you know how old I am? Right? Look at uh, Abraham. Abraham goes to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. What does God say to Abraham? Look look up at the stars of the sky. That's, That's your descendants there. Right? Moses, to be drawn up from the water. Right? So in the Bible, names actually meant something more than just simply, this is the label by which you call themselves. My name, Raja, was a very appropriate name for me. It means king. And, uh, which means my daughters are princesses. And uh, my wife's name, Sarah, actually means princess. So it actually kind of works out. But I outrank her in royalty. But that never seems to work out. <laughs> she always gets her way. And I just, that's the way, she, like, I think there's a tiara hidden in her hair. I can't be sure. But the idea is this. We make names today, but the names are not really about destiny. They're not really about what you will become. I don't aspire to be a king, right? I, I, I may joke about it, but I, I don't aspire to be a king, right? That, that's the name that was given to me. And there's another story behind that, but that's a whole, that's a whole other uh, thing there as well, too. God gives us his name, right? But when he gives us his name, his name's just not simply a label, but it describes his character and what he will do as well. There are what we call uh, common, um, God's name, God's name is not a label, but an aspect of his character. When he reveals it, it is a function of who he is and an aspect of what he is about. Our English Bibles convey little more than a label, God, Lord, which is inadequate to understand his character. So what I want to look at this morning, before we kind of relaunch in this series, I want to look at what we call the common usage names of of God, right? Now, there are four names, what we call the common names of God. They are Jehovah, which is used 6,823 times in the Bible. There's Elohim, which is used 2,570 times in the Bible. There's Adonai, which is 434 times. And there's El Shaddai, which is used seven times. Now, these are what we call the common usage names. The reason they're called common usage is because God uses these names multiple times. Next week, when we look at the name of God, he only uses his name once. And so, uh, and it's a compound name, and we're going to kind of jump into that next week. But today, we want to look at the common usage names because each one of these names means something. And when God speaks it, it says something about him, but it also says something about the situation he's speaking it in. So let's just jump in here and look at the word Jehovah. Now, Jehovah is translated in your Bibles, Lord, and it's all in capitals. So if you ever read through your Bible and you see in your Bible, the English Bible says Lord in capitals, like, why is it in capitals? Did someone hit the capital button as they're printing out the Bible? Actually, the word Jehovah is translated as Lord in all capitals in your Bible. So whenever you see that in your Bible, that's Jehovah it's trying to convey. Now, in Genesis 20, 13, it says this, there above, it stood the, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, capitals, Jehovah, the God of your father Abraham and God of Isaac, and I will give your descendants the land on which, you're, uh, which you are lying. So whenever God used the word Jehovah, it says something. Now, I'm explaining to you what Jehovah means. Jehovah is derived from the Hebrew verb hava, which means to be or being. This Hebrew word is closely connected to the word shava, which is to live or life. 
Thus, when we read uh, the name Jehovah or Lord in capitals, we think in terms of being uh, of a being or existence of life, a being who is absolutely self-existent, the one who possesses essential life and permanent existence. So when God says Jehovah, what he is saying is, I am. Now, remember when, when, when Moses uh, uh, meets God and he says, I am? It's actually the derivative of the word Jehovah, but I'm not going to tell you exactly until the end because I want to put all these pieces together to kind of knit you a, a picture of what God's trying to reveal. But Jehovah is very interesting. There's a guy named Moses uh, Mammonides. He's a tw- uh, 12th century Jewish common, uh, commentator, and this is what he says about the word Jehovah. All the names of God which occur in the scripture are derived from his work except one, and that is Jehovah. And, that is, and this is called the plain name because it teaches plainly and unequivocally of the substance of God. The point of Jehovah is that when God wanted to make a special revelation of himself, he would use Jehovah. When God makes a promise about himself, he uses Jehovah. When God talks about covenant, he uses the word Jehovah. So in your Bibles, when you see the Lord in capitals, it's actually the word Jehovah. Now, maybe you've had someone come to your door who is a Jehovah's witness. Right, And they will say to you something like, this is God's name and every other name is actually incorrect. They're correct, but they're also incorrect. Because Jehovah is actually a derivative of Yahweh. Right, So Yahweh is actually Jehovah, but there's a reason why Yahweh and Jehovah are two separate words. And I'll explain that at the end again. No spoiler alerts just yet. So Jehovah is the first way that God... Um, identifies himself to the people. But every time he uses the word Jehovah, it is, this is his plain name, this is his important name, but it's his covenantal name. It's a name, by, it's, it's like his legal name. Like if God's writing a contract and he has to sign his signature, it's Jehovah, right? So every time you see that usage, every time you see Lord in capitals in the Bible, you can think to yourself, okay, it's Jehovah. God's talking about Jehovah. The next one is Elohim. Remember I said to you in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Well, the word actually is Elohim. Uh, I have a sore throat, and I would put the chaz in there a little bit more for you, but I don't want to spread my uh, cold to you. So just, it's, it's Elohim, right? There's a ha in there. Uh, I'm not clearing my throat, so please understand that, right? So Elohim is the second way that God identifies himself. The name Elohim is unique to Hebraic thinking. It occurs only in Hebrew and no other ancient Semitic language. Unfortunately, the precise origin and development of this word is unknown. Is that interesting? That it's in their language, they're not really sure how they got it? El means strong or mighty, and its usage emphasizes God's might and creative power. Whenever you hear the word Elohim, there's two things that are being talked about of God. His power, but his creativity as well too. So when God says, in the beginning, God, what's the next word after God? Created. So when the Bible opens up, it uses the word Elohim, and the Hebrews understood what he's talking about. We just see God, and we're like, okay, God, great. But the Hebrews see Elohim. And when they see Elohim, they say, this is the God that is powerful, but this is the God that can create something from nothing. And that's why the Bible opens up with, in the beginning, Elohim created. Because that's how they understand him. The next word is Adonai. Now, um, Adonai is actually a very interesting word because it actually means Lord and Master. If God is Adonai to you, he's the one to whom you submit or bow down. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, the word there is Adonai. 
What can you give me since I'll remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, remember the situation here, right? God has just told Abram, I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you descendants, right? So obey me. But now look at Abram's response. But sovereign Adonai. Remember, Adonai is Lord and Master, which means somebody you obey. So when Abram is speaking back to God, he's saying, Adonai, he's saying, okay, I'm going to obey you. I just don't know how this is going to be accomplished. I don't understand how you're going to accomplish your work in my life. So Adonai is a word that whenever it's used in the Bible, it's denoting that God is giving a commandment. And the commandment isn't negotiable. So when when God calls himself Adonai, he's trying to say, listen, obey me. So, for example, when commandments and laws are given, the word that's used, Adonai. Because God is telling you how you should live your life. And because he's worthy of that, you submit to that and you listen to that and you live accordingly, according to that. And the last one is El Shaddai. El Shaddai is God Almighty. I was going to actually get Brian to sing that Amy Grant song, El Shaddai, but uh, there's a little bit of a a deep cut. And for anybody above 30, like, who's Amy Grant? Uh, And and the rest of us are like, oh, yeah, Amy Grant. Okay. There's a joke there somewhere, but I can't remember. Okay, so El Shaddai means God Almighty. We sang that this morning, right? God Almighty. If the Hebrews were singing it, they would say El Shaddai. The uh, the derivation is uncertain. The name stresses God's loving supply and comfort. Now watch this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. What does El Shaddai mean? It is uh, supply and comfort. So when God appears to Abram at 99 years old, right? Remember, the promise hadn't happened yet. Promise hadn't happened yet, right? Abram had not entered into covenant yet with God. So God's appearing at 99. He's already given Abram the promise. Promise has not been fulfilled yet. So how does God reveal himself to Abram? Abram, I'm El Shaddai. My comfort, my love, it's for you. So Abram knows what God is saying because by the name that God uses, Abram knows what God's intent is. God could appear at that moment and say, Abram, I'm Adonai. And Abram's like, oh, okay, okay. What, 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 what have I messed up here? Right? What have I messed up? Right? Abram, I'm Jehovah. And Abram's like, okay, God, like, like I get that. I know you're powerful and you're mighty, right? No, no. When God appears at 99, before Abram has into covenant yet, he says, Abram, I'm El Shaddai. And Abram's like, oh, okay, he's not mad. Okay, this is good. And, and, and he's going to provide. His comfort and his love is there for me. So just by how the name that God uses, Abram knows the tenor of the conversation that is to come. Now, truthfully, this topic is a bit abstract. Granted. But let me show you something here now. Let me put all these pieces together, and let me show you a conversation where God uses multiple names to show different things. So, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, this is what we see. For the Lord, Jehovah, your God, Elohim, is God of gods and Lord Adonai of lords, the great God, El, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. In this one sentence, three forms of the word God are used here, and each one means something different. Watch this. For the Lord, Jehovah. What? Jehovah is a legal name. Jehovah is the name of covenant. It's a name of power. So God starts off the sentence, For the Lord God of power, the powerful one, your God, Elohim, 
creative ability to start something from new, right? Your God, Elohim, is God of gods and Lord. He's the one who tells the world as it is. He's the one who commands. He's the one you obey, Lord of lords. And the God, the great God, El, El is the beginning part of Elohim, the powerful God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. In that one sentence, God reveals himself three ways. And in that one three-way revelation, he's showing us different aspects of his character. To the Hebrews, when they're reading through the scripture, they see this and they understand what's going on. Jehovah, okay. This is his name of power. This is his name that is above all names, Elohim. That means he's going to create and do something. Adonai means we have to obey, we have to listen. And according to each part of the sentence there, as they're reading it, they're getting a different understanding of God. A few minutes ago, Brian was leading in worship. He said to you, if I was to ask you to describe God, what, what, what name would you give? Let me ask that. If I was to say to you, give me one word to describe God, what would it be? Shout it out. Providing. El Shaddai, yeah. What else? What names, what, what does God mean to you? And one, one word. Mercy. What else? What? Comfort? Absolutely. What else? Grace? And what was that one? I heard that one over here. Creator? What else? Love? Pursuer? Father? Forgiveness? Just two there. What? Healer? All in all. The idea is this. Is that when you say to yourself, this is God to me, God actually fits a different role in your life at different times. Sometimes you need God the comforter. Some of you are in a very dark place in your life. There's, 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 there's parts of you that just are broken, and you need the El Shaddai. You need the God who's a comforter to come alongside of you, and he is that. Some of you are living lives where you shouldn't be, and God is Adonai to you, and you don't like that. God is saying to you, you're living this way, you're acting this way, I'm your Adonai. You're like, no, 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 no. And God's like, yes. For some of you, God is Jehovah. He's a God of promise. And others as well, God is Elohim. He's the one who's able to create something out of nothing. Now, let me, let me, let me uh, show you what I, how this relates to I am. Because this is where it gets really interesting. In Exodus chapter 3, this is the encounter that Moses has with God, Right? And in the video there, it's the Charlie Brown tree with its day glow. It's kind of, you know, whatever, right? I had, I had different clips to use, and I thought, you know what? Let's go with the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, right? But there's been different uh, artistic interpretations of this moment. I would love to see what this looks like. You know, I would love to have an understanding in heaven. What did Moses see, right? Like, how did he understand it? And the voice, is it James Earl Jones, or is it something else? Like, like what does God's voice sound like? Right? Because God's voice, at times the Bible, spits rock. Right? What, what does it sound like? Right? So Moses is there. He's going to have an encounter with God. And look, let me kind of walk you through it. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, when the Lord Jehovah saw that he had gone over to look, God Elohim called to him. Right? Remember, Moses sees the burning bush, and God sees that he's going, going over. Oh, by the way, there's a really great Trinitarian concept here, but... We'll get to that at some other point in time here. So God sees them. So Lord Jehovah saw that he had gone over and God Elohim called to them. Now look what, look what he says. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right? The word for God there is Elohim. 
Why does it use Elohim? Why does it use Jehovah? Because this is covenantal, right? The reason it uses Elohim is because each one of these people up there that God's talking about, without God's power, they're nothing. Without God's strength in their lives, they're nothing. We call them the patriarchs, and God uses these three names to identify God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It means something to the Hebrews because these are, these, are, these are mighty people in their history. But the reason God uses Elohim is he's saying they were nothing until I met them. They had no strength. They had no wisdom. They had nothing on themselves that would happen. So God uses the word Elohim to describe the God of Jacob. I'm the Elohim of Jacob because when I met the guy, he's a mess. He's running for his life. He's got nothing, right? I'm the God of, uh, of Abram. Remember Abram? This is the guy that uh, his wife says to sleep with my, my, my servant so that you could create, so we, we can kind of maybe cajole God's uh, promise into happening. He uses the word Elohim here because it's important for the person to understand Moses that God is more. He's the one that can create out of nothing. Now, the word I am is interesting because Throughout this reintroduction of God to his people, he identifies as Jehovah and Elohim, but he omits one of his names here, and we'll get to that in a second. The word I am, okay, people say, well, that's the name of God. God's name is I am. When you actually translate it literally, it means that I, uh, that I will, that I will be, right? But the word I am in the Hebrew has the same constants in it that Yahweh has. And that's where you get Yahweh. So when the Hebrews would write the name Yahweh out, it would be uh, Y-H-W-H. They didn't actually add vowels to it because A, they, they believed that by writing God's name out, they would be uh, defiling, don't take my name in vain, God's name in vain, that was one of the Ten Commandments. But they also thought it was so holy you couldn't write it out. That's why Yahweh is, the, is, is, is how they would call it Jehovah. Jehovah they could use, but Yahweh they wouldn't. Right? So the word I am is actually the base of Yahweh. That I am that I am, that I will be that I will be, self-sufficient, Jehovah, uh, not needing anybody else. But the one name that's missing here is Adonai. Now, isn't that interesting? That God is reintroducing himself to the people for 430 years have not heard from him. They're living in slavery. Instead, God uses his covenantal Jehovah, and he uses his Elohim. But we don't see Adonai until the next chapter. And in chapter 4, we see Adonai. In chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord Jehovah, pardon your servant, Lord Adonai. Now, why is this interesting? Because now Moses is acknowledging something. I've gone through Jehovah. I've gone through Elohim. Now you're the God I'm going to obey. At this point in time, Moses has made the decision to obey God. What's he asking here? I have never been eloquent, neither in the past or since have, have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He's like, okay, I'm going to go. You're Adonai. I'm going to obey you. You've told me what to do. I'm going to do it. I just feel inadequate to do it. When God reveals himself in Exodus chapter 3, he says to Moses, I am Jehovah. I am Elohim. Right? But he doesn't use Adonai because if he says Adonai in that time, it's too forceful. God is tenderly calling Moses back into relationship with a God that the people may have forgotten about. And it's not till Moses uses Adonai to say to him, God, you're the God I'm going to listen to. You're the God I'm going to obey. Now, why is this important? Why does this matter? You can go on through your life and say, well, who cares? Jehovah, God, it's all the same thing to me. Because until you understand God's name, 
you won't understand his character. And until you can understand his character, you won't understand how to apply that in your life every day. So when God uses the word Jehovah, Jehovah, self-existent, he doesn't need you, but desperately wants to be in a relationship with you. Jehovah means self-existence. It means I exist on my own. Why do I need you? But yet, when we read the Bible, the word Jehovah is constantly, the God Jehovah is constantly calling us into relationship. What does that say about him? And what does that say about us? That God is so passionately in love with you in your mess, in your turmoil, in your doubt, in your fear, in your shame, that he calls out to you and wants to be in relationship with you. Does not need you. Does not need you. You do not complete God. This is not a Jerry Maguire moment, okay? <clears throat> you do not complete God, and yes, he has you at hello, okay? <clears throat> you do not him, but he needs you, he wants you, he desires to be in relation with it. Jehovah calls to you and says, be in relation with me, even though I don't need you. But he does know that we need him. He does know that we need him. Elohim, the God who is powerful and uses that power to create something new. Only Elohim can take the shattered mess of your life and make something new out of it. What's the Bible constantly saying about what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means that God is going to take you and he's going to make something new in you. That's the part that terrifies us because sometimes we like the old self better. Lord, I don't want anything new. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm fine. God's like, you don't understand. Until I create something new in you, I can't do anything with you. Because in the state that you're in right now, you are immobile to what I want to do. And do you know how God creates something new in you? It's pain. It's suffering. It's, it's, it's trials, right? The New Testament is full of scriptures that go something like this. And James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face, face trials of all kinds. And you're like, does not face like, doesn't feel like joy. Feels like absolute garbage right now, Lord. And God's like, don't forget, I'm Elohim. I create something new in you. But the tools I use that are different than what you understand. So when God approaches you as Elohim, you are, you are terrified, you are scared. But he's a God that is creative. And you want know to love about God is he takes messes and makes them more. I can't even begin to tell you. My wife and I last night, we got home uh, from some friends of ours' place. And we just, you know, we, we turned the lights on in the house. But we, just stopped, we just stopped that moment. And we looked around and we said to ourselves, how is it that we can be so blessed in our lives? Like, like, like throughout our, our marriage, uh, we just celebrated our anniversary uh, last month. Throughout our marriage, all we can say about God is he has been faithful when we've been faithless. And then when others have attacked us and tried to hurt us and, and in ministry and our regular, just whatever, or, or even our own sin, our own lives, God has taken that mess and he's used that. And the fact that we're together and the fact that, that we can say these things is because only Elohim can take their lives and use that. And sometimes we go down paths and we make decisions or other people make decisions that affect us. In that moment, you want Elohim. You want the creative God that is powerful, that can take that and can make that into something new. God is Adonai. He is God and worthy to be obeyed. And this is the word that we need to remember. 
when God asks us something, when he tells us, here are the boundaries I place for your life, don't overstep them, it's the Adonai that's talking to us because he is worthy to be obeyed. And we, rebellious children that we are, shake our fists at God saying, I know better. I can do whatever I want. I can live whichever way I want. And that's when our lives are broken time and time again. And that's when God comes alongside of us and says, listen, you forgot that I'm Adonai to you as well. Right? You forgot that. The rules that God has for us, and when I use the word rules, please understand what I mean. I'm not giving you a list of things you should or shouldn't do. The rule in your life, be like Jesus. Be like Christ. Be transformed into him, his image, right? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. And the Adonai calls us to that. And one of the hardest things we have today is obedience to God. Right? Like we're told by media, it's your world and you're living in it. Be the best you you can be. Like live your truth. And they're like, okay, these are all great like things for t-shirts and bumper stickers. But that's not Adonai. God calls us to something and he expects us to obey him. And we're like, in our, if we are smart, we go, yes. If we're not so smart, we go, no, and I'll do it my own way. And then we meet God months, weeks, years later. And we're like, okay. That was a bad choice. Can we, can we talk? Right? So God is Adonai. And finally, God is Al Shaddai, the God who meets your needs, the comforter, the merciful one. And you need the Al Shaddai in your life. When you've made, when you, when you disobey the Adonai, you need the Al Shaddai. Now, here's what I want to do. This series is really about re-understanding our relationship with God and realizing that God is infinite. And sometimes we put God in these little boxes and we say, God, stay there, right? I love what C.S. Lewis says about God. He says, you know, we try to make the lion of Judah into a house kitten, right? And you cannot declaw Jesus, right? You cannot take his, his, his roar and make it a meow. You can't. You can try to put God in a box, but God breaks out of that box, and as he should, because he is infinite creator. He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of all glory. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That will happen, whether you like it or not. The point of this series is, is to go back into the Old Testament and see where men and women encountered God and the name he gives them at that moment in time. Because the name he gives them is not just a self-identifying name, it's part of his power. It's a part of what he wants to do in their lives. And that's what you need to understand. <clears throat> we have such a small view of God these days. Sometimes we read the Bible and we read it like it's fiction. Right? We read it like, like it's not even true or real. But you forget the Bible wasn't written by humans. It was written by God that, that so moved humans to write it in such a way that God has protected it and, and, and that it is his word. We need to have a high view of God once again. But the only way we can do that is by taking God out of his box. Well, you, whether you take him out of the box, he will burst out of it either way. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to encounter individuals that meet God on the journey of their lives. And oftentimes when they meet God, it's in times of high stress, high chaos, high emotion. And in that moment, God gives a name to them. He says, I am this. 
And that name is what they need in that situation. And at the end of the series, I'm going to take all those names and I'm going to show you how to apply it to your lives. That's what the series is about. It's to go back in the Old Testament, that murky part of the Bible we don't really understand a lot, and kind of see how, God, how people encounter God. And my hope is throughout the series that even this morning as you walk away, Jehovah, Adonai, El Shaddai, Elohim, that your, your understanding of God's name has already begun to grow. And over these next several weeks, it will grow even more as you understand what God does in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I thank you that you've come. I thank you that you save us. I thank you that you love us in spite of us. And I thank you, God, that you forgive us time and time again. <clears throat> I pray, Lord God, that as we go through this series, that each person here would have a fresh sense of who you are. That, Lord, you are greater than our understanding. You are greater than our articulation. You are greater than anything we could hope and understand. But, Lord, you are also merciful and tender and compassionate. And some people need that from you as well. God, you gave us names. And those names help us understand what you do and who you are. And I pray, God, that you would grow in each of us. Lord, it doesn't matter where we are in the journey whether we are taking our own paths or we're walking the way you want, whether we are surrounded by pain or if we are at a great point of our lives, either way, we still need you. I pray pray that we'd remember that. Holy Spirit, apply these names to our lives. I thank you, Lord, for your love, and I thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.